and welcome to another episode of the 42 to Doomsday podcast. I'm Rob. And I'm Mark. And in this episode, special guest Aaron Challenger, proprietor of Aaron's Collectibles here in Melbourne, returns to discuss a unique discovery he recently made that could have ramifications for the search of not only missing Doctor Who, but missing television in general. While nothing definitive has been uncovered yet, I'm sure you'll find our interview with him fascinating, enraging, and to some extent, hopeful. And as I said at the top of the episode, we're joined by Aaron from Aaron's Collectibles. Aaron, welcome. Thanks for having me back, guys. It seems like, like Santa, I appear on this podcast once a year and talk about toys. In this episode, you're going to talk about something slightly different, though, aren't you? I am. I've had a really amazing experience. Um, one of the things that I love about my job, and there's a lot of things to love about it, is I get to go out and I look at people's collections because I, I do purchase collections. And once in a while, I'll go out and I will check out a deceased estate. Now, basically, deceased estates are when someone's passed away and the family contacts me and they'd like me to come out and either value the collection or help them dispose of it or buy it because they have some stuff that I might be interested in. And I have a very interesting story of what's happened the last couple of weeks. And it's very relevant to uh, Doctor Who and missing episode material. So about three weeks ago, um, someone from my church said to me, uh, someone they know had passed away and everything was going to hard rubbish. They were a bit of a science fiction fan. They liked Doctor Who and they liked Star Trek. If I wanted to go out to their place, I could just take whatever I wanted before it was destroyed. I went out expecting maybe a box of Target books or some figures or some DVDs or whatever you get from the average collector. And I went there and it was the biggest hoarder's house full of stuff I have ever seen in 30 plus years of dealing. It was absolutely incredible. And the potential for what could be found there is very exciting. The guy was a hoarder of everything in his life. So he was a hoarder of collectibles, books, comics, DVDs, uh, videos, but What's very exciting, he was a bit of an audiophile and he recorded off the radio and recorded off TV. And what's unusual with this collection, he recorded stuff way back to the early 70s when it was beyond most people's means to be able to record because at the time there was no real domestic recording technology. It only existed at television stations. So it was only the very wealthy people that could afford pneumatic machines or reel-to-reel videotapes for recording stuff off air. And this guy had multiple machines and hundreds of tapes that go back to that era. Indeed, the estate, um, he recorded stuff all the way up to when he sadly passed away. And there was more than 10,000 tapes that we um, ended up getting out of the estate. So one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Now, Aaron, just just to give people who aren't in Australia or very young Australians just a feel for the television landscape back then, there was the ABC, the commercial networks, so Channel 7, 9, and I think what it would have been at that stage, uh, Channel 0 or uh, what is now Channel 10. Are you saying that as as early as the 1970s, he was taping... Everything off off all four networks, or was he taping uh, selectively off a particular network? Is it possible to say or no? Well, here's the here's the thing. Like a lot of eccentric collectors, um, a lot of his stuff was labelled in a way that only he could understand it. So some of the tapes 
did have what was on them written on them or sketched down in a little piece of paper slipped in with them. The majority of stuff, I have no idea what was on it. But um, this person was a science fiction fan, particularly Doctor Who and Star Trek. And some of the old stuff from that era I have found. And he did have probably the oldest domestic recording of the original Star Trek TV series that I've ever seen. I think it was recorded in 1974. And from the spread of things we found from that era, it does seem he was just taping stuff from different networks at different times that he just wanted to save or keep or he enjoyed himself. So similarly, is it possible to know, was he, I mean, did he have multiple TV sets attached to pneumatic uh, recorders or as you say he was he was sort of more just picking and choosing i mean was he recording in long blocks i mean did the umatic tapes of that era extend you know more than 60 minutes uh, for, for one tape what's the situation there as you understand it well the the sad thing is as we go through this story is um before the person passed away the family seems to have and this is only as recently as a month ago destroyed most of the 70s pneumatic tapes that were at the estate but we did find some and from the ones we found it looks like he recorded what he liked he recorded everything once this is what a couple of people from the family and his friends have told me he was an obsessive compulsive recorder and once he recorded onto a tape it never got erased or went over and what is good i guess for tapes from this era everything was in pristine condition where he Mm kept everything in really amazing i mean it's not a temperature control or anything like that but he was careful with his tapes to the point where i thought i was finding boxes full of solid new tapes because they still had the plastic wrappers on them but he was so careful with his stuff he was actually getting a knife and slitting the plastic and taking the tapes out you leaving the original wrapper which everyone would have disposed of when they um recorded on a tape and then slipping it back in that after it was used so they looked brand new and some of these old tapes which I'm sure have problems with drying out and sticking and issues to me a lot of them look like they were produced yesterday they are just in the most amazing condition so let's so then let's go back to first principles then so you say this fellow was was a hoarder give us a sense of the layout of the house and how much of the house was devoted to storing not only all of these videotapes, but the rest of his collection? When I say this guy was a hoarder, it is the most unbelievable amount of material I have ever seen in an estate. And this is after the people who were in charge of the estate hard rubbished the majority of it, which is very sad. Now, the house is an old rambling house. It's um, 106 years old. It's quite in, in quite a expensive suburb. And it almost looks like the original house was built at the front of the property. Um, And it would have been a large for the time family house. And then it looks like another house or granny flat was built at the back of the property. And then the middle of the property was at a later stage, the two houses were connected. So it's almost like three houses where you walk in and there's a couple of bedrooms, a lounge room, a kitchen, a bathroom. And then the whole process sort of repeats itself where there's another study and another couple of bedrooms and then another lounge room. And then down the back, there's another 
another bathroom and another kitchen, another study and another couple of rooms. So it is a long, old, rambling house. It wouldn't be one that looks like it was um, designed by a master architect. It looks more like it was sort of the house that Jack built and was sort of cobbled together over maybe 50 years or something. So it is an old house. It was, uh, I guess you would say, dank and run down. And when you ask what was the scope of the collection, unless you saw it, you would not understand. Um, It is, in my uh, time in the industry, the biggest collection of just accumulation of life that I have ever seen. Um, He collected everything from every day of his life. He was independently wealthy, so he didn't have to work. And I found folders there. And in the folders, they were sort of, you know, you put loose leaf um, pages in a plastic binder. There was these plastic binders and in the front of them, it had a, a written page and it was basically a diary page. And the diary page would be of that day and it would be caught a tram up Burke Road, went to Bat Brashes, went to the Camberwell News Agency, caught a train into the city, went to Minotaur Books, went to Alternate Worlds, went to Windsor, came back home. And then in the rest of that bag, Everything he did that day, so everything he ate, the food wrapping was all compressed down and in that folder. Anything he picked up, so if he picked up shop flyers or the free magazines or band flyers or charts or anything like that, that was all in one page that was one day of his life. And he kept this probably for 30, 40 years, a record of everything. And this is why the estate is kind of mind-blowing. Unfortunately, the family thought that was just rubbish and that was um, hard-wasted. But this huge house, um, which is by any um, standards a big property, they showed me pictures of why they had to clear it out because it was a fire hazard. And every single room was full to about head height of of a jumble of accumulation of everything. So I can't say collectibles and I can't say rubbish, but it was definitely for anyone that walked in there, they would have just said, this is unhealthy and this is a health hazard and this is um, not safe. And that's why the estate was about a month ago cleared out. And unfortunately, I have only been able to deal with it because the um, the person passed away and I was called in to have a look after. I really wish I had been in there before because it sounds like a priceless archive of everything from music media to pop culture to Melbourne history to indeed videotapes and pneumatic tapes went to hard rubbish a month ago. Now, you were saying, Aaron, uh, at the time that I first learned about this, that before you were you know, brought, on, brought onto the case, uh, as it were, that approximately or roughly 27 tonnes of material was removed. Would that be correct? As in, as in rubbish trucks, multiple yes. rubbish trucks were brought in to clear out that amount. Is that right? Yes. So to give you a, a brief background on what happened, the person who um, owned this collection went into respite care for a couple of weeks. And he was, from what I, I heard, he wasn't um, living the best life there. The house was so full and so cram-packed full of stuff. He was sleeping on blankets in a hallway because he could no longer get into his own bedroom. So it is a hoarding problem. It is someone who did have a problem with hoarding. Um, It it isn't how a rational person would live. It it is one of those extremes, but the most extreme I've ever seen in Australia. And the family said to me, they called like who was in control of the estate and they came out and said, this is a huge 
fire hazard does need to be cleared. So for the two weeks he was away from the house, they did indeed get hard rubbish removalists to come in. And they described to me it was a line of garbage trucks down the street and people were going in, out, in, out, in, out, compress, compress, compact, in, out, in, out, in, out, compress, compress, compact. And then when it was full, the truck would pull away and the next one would pull up for two weeks. And they said they knew it was 27 tonnes of material because at the end of the two weeks, they were given a bill of what had been taken away and it was 27 tonnes. So that's how they can be specific with how much, much material was destroyed. And before you say... Maybe it's at a reclamation centre or somewhere. <laughs> I did, <laughs> when I found out, chased who, who who did it. And it was the trucks that crushed stuff down and it was taken to hard rubbish landfill. It wasn't sorted through and it wasn't taken to a reclamation centre where they do save some of the, even if it's to get the metals or, or, or out of it, nothing like that happened. It was just dumped. So unfortunately, there's no chance of getting any of that back. So I've got two questions then from springing from that. Do you know what was thrown into the, the, the rubbish trucks? Was it largely video, well, you know, pneumatic tapes, VHS, beta, whatever? Well, this is, it's, it's a long story to get to how I kind of know what was there. So I'll go through it with you. When, when I went out the first day, it was a very different situation for what it is now. I was told everything was going on Monday to hard rubbish. They were starting to process the rest of the estate and get rid of it. I was there on the Friday thinking I was going to get a couple of tubs of Doctor Who and Star Trek collectibles and it was an amazing estate. And so I went through this sort of, what am I going to do? This has to be saved. I don't know exactly what's here. It is such a huge estate and it has so much potential to have missing material and interesting material as a dealer and as someone who makes a living out of this, the first thing that crossed my mind was I have to get this into a storage unit or something like that. And I very quickly realised it was too big for me to be able to do that. And so I started the process of letting a few friends know who I thought might be able to help it. And then I also contacted um, people who have in the past been involved with recovering mis uh, missing material. Locally, I contacted Damien Shanahan and internationally, I contacted Chris Perry, who was the head of Kaleidoscope, and they were both very helpful in advice of what to do and trying to help save the estate. Chris Perry was able to get three local people to call me or contact me almost straight away, and that was the Australian National Archives, the Australian Film and Sound Archive, and then local people who might be able to just take the estate and go through it. Um, Damien Shanahan was able to say, this is what I should do. This is what I should be looking for. And the, the process of uh, finding stuff that was more important than, you know, maybe the other stuff that you'd go through and not find anything at all. So there was a bit of support like that. But when you are there on a Friday and there is truckloads, and I'm not joking, truckloads of stuff that you would like to get out of the estate so it doesn't get destroyed, by Monday... It's a very short time span. And this indeed is why I contacted Mark and said, hey, I'm in a bit of a bind here. I don't know what to do. And I've been doing this for my whole life. But this looks like it could be the one estate in Australia which has the best potential for domestically recorded missing material, not just Doctor Who, but a lot of other really important stuff. And the thing that you asked me is, was I able to determine, you know, what was there and what was on it and the potential of um, just what was going to be there. 
When I was looking through the more modern tapes, the beta, I did find full run of the 93 Doctor Who, when they basically started an earthly child and went all the way through to survival. And I did find every Star Trek episode, every Next Generation and all that recorded off of air. But then I went back and found every episode of Doctor Who as it was originally aired in the 80s as well, and every episode of Star Trek. And every time it was repeated, this guy had taped it. And this goes back to the 70s, where I said earlier, I found a reel-to-reel videotape of an episode of Star Trek Errand of Mercy, which is, of course, all of Star Trek exists. But if he was recording, if the pattern that he was following of recording this every time it was shown, if that pattern was there when he had these 70s machines, there is the potential that he was recording way back to the early 70s and there could have been missing Doctor Who there, uh, taped off of air. So that then leads me to my second question. Even with 27 tonnes worth of whatever, we're not entirely sure what the mix was of, uh, of his, um, you know, a collection, as it were, removed, how much was left behind? Because what you've described when you turned up is still a house that was absolutely chock-a-block full of items, including, uh, you know, recording media. Would that be right? Absolutely. It was still, after 27 tonnes had been taken out, the largest hoarding deceased estate I'd ever seen. I could not believe that that much material had been taken out because the house was still full of tubs of records and wardrobes full of toys and collectibles and full runs of magazines. This guy had tens of thousands of magazines and I'm not joking. Um, When I first went there and they said, oh, we destroyed all this material, it's gone. They said to me, oh, we, we, we kept all the good stuff, though. We put the good stuff in the garage. Now, I thought the stuff in the garage was going to be the bulk of the estate. And when they said they kept the good stuff, they probably thought they were keeping what a normal person would think was the good stuff. So they kept like eagle moss figures and um, things like that, which are sort of more modern collectibles that have a little bit of value to them, but they're not historically valued by value there at all. And then I thought all the estate had been put in the garage and there was a couple of hundred tubs in the garage that I went through before they said, oh no, there's still stuff in the house. It's just, we took a lot of the stuff out. Every room was still littered with archive boxes and crates and um, he kept all of his stuff in um, garbage bags so this is why I think I don't know what went and I just think priceless stuff would have been taken out because if you're clear if you're called in as a garbage disposal person to clear an estate and this guy triple bagged everything in those grey garbage bags his whole life and you just see bags and bags of garbage bags filling up every single room. I just don't think they've checked any of it. I think they just took, they said, oh, this has all been bagged up for garbage. We just put it straight in the back of the truck. And I've said this a couple of times to people, but it's it's the closest analogy I can really give you is it was like digging for opals where every room is moldy and gray and there's hardly any lighting and so everything is brown and gray and everything's in garbage bags and and sort of very old and faded archive boxes and lots of tubs that are splintering because they're so old and so everything is gray and then you rip open a garbage bag and it is full of vibrant amazing pop culture stuff that is as new as the day it was bought because he was buying 
records, comics, books, and they were not even coming out of the bags that he took them home in. So when you imagine a record collection, you imagine people who have the old ice cream tubs and they've got, you know, hundreds of their LPs in them and, and someone might have, you know, three or four tubs and that's an average person's record collection. This person had tubs and tubs and tubs of records and they were still in the record bags they came in. So when you see the milk crate size tubs that they're in, you couldn't see what records they are. They're just full of brashes bags and gaslight bags and central station bags because he bought the stuff, I think, too hoard and too save. And then you take that to the next level where every one of those bags then has all the free um, flyers from brashes and the free magazines and the charts. And he didn't take one of each. You'd open each bag and there'd be five Coke charts, five 3AK charts, five Pepsi charts and five Fox FM charts. And he did this on everything he bought. So it is just mind-blowing. I, I, It is, again, I think without seeing it, you just can't get the scope of what was there. And also discussing afterwards where I've built up more of a rapport with the, the person I'm dealing with, him telling me some of the stories of what he saw and they threw out. Again, I just have to bite my tongue because it is horrific, which some of the stuff I've heard that was thrown out. Aaron, since you've 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 uh, you've given us the you've tipped us the wink on that, what sort of give us an example or two of something that you sort of shudder to to realise has been disposed of when it could have been kept? Well, it's one of those things. There is everything in this collection. Um, it is like someone took a time capsule of the last fifty years of Melbourne and kept everything. And it is at the point where I have people freaking out from bags from old shops and stuff that this guy had and there doesn't appear to be any examples or pictures of them online so obviously it would have been a great Melbourne um, museum exhibition but as a science fiction and pop culture collector the worst thing I've heard about what was destroyed um, was breakfast cereal boxes and the first day I went in there I put my hand on top of an old uh, wardrobe and I felt that there was some cardboard that moved around and I pulled it down and there was about three or four old breakfast cereal boxes uh, from the 90s. So they weren't anything particular. They were um, just some Uncle Toby's ones and they had generic sort of witches and glow-in-the-dark stuff on the boxes. And as I pulled them down, I was with the other guy that was um, looking after the estate and he said, oh, we thought we threw out all of those. Um, you know, you can put them in the hard waste, the recycle bins over there. And I said, oh, no, no, no. These are really good. You never see this stuff. I, I really want to keep this. And that was sort of where we went with that conversation. But then three weeks later, now he's sort of saying to me, oh, I can see how excited you are by some of this stuff that we really shouldn't have thrown a lot of that stuff out. And I said, yeah. And he said to me, when we got the breakfast cereal, I found the old 70s Star Wars um, boxes. And I looked at them and said, gee, do you know, someone would probably be interested in this. The, the artwork's really nice. But because they were in the middle of moving everything out, he said, we didn't have time to think about stuff like that. So it just got thrown in the um, recycle bin with all the other paper and boxes. And I said, oh, do you remember what they were? And he said, oh, they were the original Star Wars ones and they had um, masks on the back of the box that you could cut out for the original Star Wars movie. And I said, oh, what, he had you know, all six or all 12 or however many they did. And he said, no, he had about 40 of them because he had all the ones on cornflakes packs, all the ones on 
Rice Krispie packs, all the ones on Cocoa Pops packs. And he had, you know, just ate them, folded the boxes down, and they were all there for 50, 40, 40, 50 years. And then without me even asking, he said, oh, and the other things that were really cool, if you like Star Wars, they had the icy pole boxes where you could cut the spaceships off the, the back of the box. Yeah, and we threw all those out too. Now, they are so rare, they never, ever turn up. And I've seen them change hands between $1,000 and $2,000 an empty box. And this, this guy had 40 of those and I don't know, a dozen of the icy pole boxes because he gestured to me as he was telling me the story, picking them up and throwing them in the bin. That might have been a $100,000 handful of stuff into the bin there. And I haven't even seen those for about 20 years turn up in any collection. Oh, Aaron, I feel uh, very sick hearing that. Well, <laughs> that's, that's sickening. But the the one that got me was when he said, the because to explain, we rescued tens of thousands of tapes. There are tens of thousands of tapes we found, but they are mainly beta tapes. There's probably boxes of 70s reel-to-reel -reel, and there's boxes of umatic tapes, but where there is like this collection is tens of thousands of tapes. Only 5% of it is that 70s stuff that looks really interesting. And when they were talking about clearing the house, they actually said the umatic tapes were the ones they made the call on to throw and destroy because no one can play them anymore. And that's pretty sad that they existed up till about a month ago and then they were destroyed. And the ones that weren't destroyed, I found hidden in boxes. So obviously, because they were hidden away, they were saved. And his stuff is numbered, and some of the pneumatic tapes I found up to number 700 in his collection. So he had quite a substantial collection of pneumatic tapes, and out of the ones I've actually found, I've probably found a dozen. So there were hundreds of pneumatic tapes that were junked. And we don't know what is currently on those pneumatic tapes, do we? No, the pneumatic tapes I've got, some of them have little slips of paper that have titles on. If if that is what is actually on them or not, I don't know because I haven't been able to play anything and these are going up to Canberra to all be looked through and categorised and checked. I would say what was on them would be what was on the, the labels and um, one of them just had Nana Muscuri written on it on a scrap of paper and one of them had four corners women's how to vote and we were able to track that episode down to about 1974 and it was next to the one that said Nana Muscuri and that was also a special that was on on 1974 so we're pretty sure that um, those run of tapes were recorded around then. The other thing is it was very unusual for anyone to have a pneumatic machine because they weren't a cheap piece of uh, equipment for someone to have at home. They were only used by television stations. And one of the collectors I was talking about said, uh, this too said, yes, they were about $3,000 back in the 70s when a house was about $30,000. So they were not like your videos where they were expensive at the time when you got a video player. When they came out, they were three or $400 and that was a bit of a whack. But go back 10, 15 years and be paying $3,000. Nobody really did that to keep television at the time because it was just out of people's budget. And this guy had four pneumatic players in his house taping at different times. When you contact these archivists, talk us through what their response was, but also the next steps in terms of retrieving the collection. It's an interesting story and there's a lot of different elements <laughs> and we'll talk about all of them. And there are some things that make you 
wonder just exactly what's out there. Chris Perry got the archives to contact me and the film and sound archives contacted me and said, um, we hear you've come across a large collection and we've been told we should look into it. And I said, yes, you really need to send someone out here now. And they said, okay, um, if there's that much material, we will. We think we can get someone to you in about two weeks. And I said, you don't understand. And this was on the Friday that I was first out there. I said, you don't understand. This is Friday. They're saying it's all the process of getting rid of all of this and clearing the estate is starting on Monday. And they said, there's absolutely no way we can get anyone out because we don't work over the weekend. So I started sending them um, pictures of things that I had found that were labelled and there were videotapes from the 70s that had things on the spines, the doors, Woodstock, Led Zeppelin, uh, the Rolling Stones. And if they are existing things, they're not really worth anything. If this is something unique that was shown in the 70s on the ABC and there's unique footage or it's stuff on Countdown that um, doesn't exist anymore or it's something from another show that doesn't exist, that is priceless material so after i started sending them these they rang me and said okay we'll get someone out tomorrow so i met the guy from the australian archives the next day and he was a lovely guy and he was going through the stuff and he said this is the biggest collection that's been domestically recorded ever to turn up in australia and he didn't even know at that time that the majority of it had probably been destroyed and hard rubbish so that gives you a scope of how big it is if the people from the archives are saying that it is that huge and he said to me the size of the collection was actually what would uh, work against it because he said the archives would be very interested in taking all the material i had shown them the stuff that said rolling stones and music and stuff like that but the majority of the 10,000 plus tapes that were there, they said, we don't have the resources to move it or look through it. And we'd just be interested in coming in and taking the material that looked interesting and the rest we're going to have to leave to get junk. And I said, well, look, I appreciate you coming out and I appreciate you looking at it but I could take all the good stuff out and sell it myself and make quite a lot of money. But that's not why I've called the archive. I want this collection to be saved. And I wanted it to be saved because I knew this guy was a Doctor Who fan and a Star Trek fan. And not only was he taping that, there is all this missing material that could have been recorded, Andra and, and different things um, that were shown on the ABC that were the kind of things that Doctor Who and sci-fi and genre fans are into. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like the goodies with the Kit and Kong episode, he could have taped that, um, the original one that doesn't exist in the archives anymore. And apparently um, I, Claudius, was shown unedited in Australia where in England it was edited and they don't have a full version. And that could be on the other tapes. Um, and indeed, I don't know if he upscaled any of the umatic tapes onto a newer format so he could watch them later. I think he would have had an idea of how historic this material was and how important it was. And I'll be very, very surprised if his umatic tape uh, players stopped working, if he didn't try and put it onto a format where it could be saved or he could still watch them. That said, there was so much material and he was recording so much, I don't think he could ever have watched back anything he was recording because he was still recording so much every single day. We found hard drives and burnt DVDs and thousands of um, USB drives. And again, right up till he passed away, he was still recording stuff and keeping stuff. And now one of the more important things that he might have kept, and I was invited to go along to his funeral. And I was invited to his funeral, which I thought was a bit strange because 
the people I was dealing with said, no one has actually been enthusiastic about his collecting before. You are the only person who's come in and said, this is amazing. This should be saved. You know, what he's done is historic. And they were quite surprised that the National Archives sent someone down straight away to look at it because they saw absolutely zero value in any of this at all. Now, when I went to his funeral, it was an unusual funeral. He had requested that he play the Doctor Who, well, Doctor in the TARDIS as the opening song. And when he was, uh, the casket was lowered, they played Star Trekking. So he was a huge fan. But during the eulogies, one of his friends was talking about how he taped stuff and um, how he taped stuff off the radio and then it moved to video. And he said Countdown was his favourite show and he had taped every episode of Countdown. So after the funeral, I approached this friend and said, did he tape Countdown audio or was he taping it on video? And he said he had taped every episode of Countdown on video and half of Countdown does not exist. All the black and white years are gone. So right there, this could have been one of the most extraordinary finds ever if those tapes hadn't been destroyed or indeed if they are on the reel-to-reel stuff that did get sent up to Canberra because there was a lot of early reel-to-reel formats. Unfortunately, I'm not an expert and I've even shown pictures of some of the videos to people and they can't tell me if it's audio tape or video tape because there's quarter inch and three and a quarter inch and all these different formats. A lot of the boxes that the tape was in did say it was videotape, though. So I think even if there's one episode of Countdown in there that doesn't exist, that's a pretty major find um, because you just don't find stuff from that era. And just for a bit of context for overseas listeners, uh, Countdown was our equivalent of uh, Top of the Pops. It started, I think, uh, in the mid early to mid-70s. And as Aaron said, a lot of it has, just like Top of the Pops and Doctor Who, uh, gone way of the dodo. But um, yeah, there's been a, a refocused effort last couple of years to try and re- get that TV show back in the archives. Anything would be great coming back from that. It is one of the things the archive asked me, they said, do you know if you take countdown? And at the time I didn't. I said, I have no idea. But after the after the funeral and talking to some of the people there, he obviously taped stuff with the idea of archiving it and saving it. And one of the interesting things one of his friends told me was he deliberately left all the adverts in because he thought that in the future stuff would be commercially available, but the advert adverts would never be saved. And so the archive did say, oh, there will be thousands and thousands of adverts that do not exist in any format in this collection so right away there is going to be missing material there 100 percent because there is like i said there is existing tapes from the 70s of star trek that will have the ad breaks intact in them because he didn't stop taping during the ads so there is going to be missing material there for sure whether we get lucky and they find something that is really historically important we just don't know now the thing is the archives did not end up taking the collection i said you had to take it all or nothing because i didn't want any of it to go to landfill And because the estate could see I was really excited and really trying hard, they said, well, we won't get rid of it on Monday. We will give you a week to try and work this out, which kind of took a bit of the pressure off of me with, you know, desperately trying to get it saved over a weekend. And during that time, the archives gave me different people I could contact. And I was talking to Damien Shanahan and I was also talking by email to couple of people in the UK and one of them suggested uh, Canberra University and the reason they suggested this is because the archives don't have a lot of funding and they are undermanned but um, universities can use their funding for things like this so the credit for saving this material ends up going to the dean of um, Canberra University who's and he um, was able to make some
some calls and get the National Archive up in Canberra and a couple of the other university bigwigs, I guess, to explain the importance of this collection. And they put the funding up to come and pick up that collection and the entire collection, every single audio, visual piece of material we could find, all the different machines, because one of the things with this collection, there is a lot of redundant material. By that, I mean redundant on different formats that no one can play anymore. But this guy had kept all the machines that he recorded and played stuff on. So if the uni has that, at least any format that turns up, they should have the machine that can play it. So they took all of the um, videos, all of the reel-to-reel, all of the film, and they took all of the machines as a big bulk deal. And I got it all ready for them and prepared it. So I knew that nothing was getting lost or left behind. And I watched them load it up into the truck last week and it went up to Canberra. Now they're setting up a pilot course. They've said they've already put out, you know, expressions of interest for who like might like to participate in it. And it is one of those courses I would have absolutely loved where it's an archiving course and they're going to have students for the next 10 years, I would estimate, going through all the tapes and categorising absolutely everything that's recorded on each one of them. So he has said, being someone who's aware of missing material and what is important to keep and what is missing from media and what's historical and what should go to different rights holders, he said they will go through it, they will notarise it, they will watch everything, anything that's in any importance they will digitalize and keep and it will either go to the archive or they contact the relevant rights holders and the material will go back to where it should go now does that mean we will hear what's on the tapes and if there's anything important we probably won't hear every single missing advert they find but if there is anything like countdown or of course doctor who or anything else that's important. Yes, indeed, I'll be informed and it'll be a press release. And of course, the university will probably get the kudos for going through it and everything. So um, I do think it was the best situation and the best outcome for this collection. Do we think that uh, we can move on to the conjecture portion of it? Well, there is some, I wouldn't say drama but there are some interesting things that have in, unfolded since um the collection was taken to Canberra and that is a bit of conjecture about what could still be out there and indeed are there hoarders of this material around which I can now 100% say to you yes there are because I have been a member, and I, I think you guys have too, have been a member of the fan community in Melbourne our entire lives. And when we say that, back to when we were, were kids, and we all met through the Doctor Who Club of Victoria in the, the 80s, and we stayed friends because of our love of Doctor Who and science fiction. That would be very fair to say, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Spot on. So <laughs> this guy was unknown to us. This guy was a huge Doctor Who fan, and having seen photos of him now and gone to his funeral, he was not someone that ever went to any of the fan club meetings or had anything to do with fandom. So he was an off-the-radar collector who had an absolutely massive science fiction collection that nobody knew about. So this collection existed very close to us our entire lives and has now just recently been junked. Now, when I say we didn't know about it, I have found out since then that there were some people who knew about it because I found out the guy had passed away about two days after he passed away because it came through news from my, my church. About a week later, when it became common news, 
a couple of people approached the estate and said the deceased person had wanted us to have his collection and he did not want it to go into public hands or into any archives. And this was too late because by then Canberra had stepped in and said they were going to take it. And they were informed this and apparently I was not a very popular person. And they had said that they knew there was a lot of interesting stuff there and they were collectors too. And they'd always had sort of, I guess, the last man standing contract where their collections as they passed away would be split off and go to the other people. And then whoever was the last one would inherit everything. Now, where they would put that, I don't know, because this is absolutely massive. But um, I was told they were not happy it was going to the archives and didn't hear anything for a couple of days. And then they contacted the estate again and said, can we have the pneumatic machines? And that was not something I could do because the archives had already said it's all or nothing and they were going to take the pneumatic machines up to Canberra and indeed they needed them to either watch or repair or, or, or fix and, and see what was on the pneumatic tapes. And the thing that interests me about that is if you weren't getting pneumatic tapes, why would you need pneumatic machines? And if you had pneumatic tapes, what would be on them that you needed to play if you could get it anywhere else on video or DVD indeed or been released commercially? So my speculation would be there are pneumatic collections locally in private hands that are, you know, being kept secret. And I can, you know, 100% say that there are people out there that didn't want this collection to go into public hands and wanted to keep it undercover, which is a bit annoying for me because you know you don't see stuff like this turn up very often and indeed um, I do think if any other secondhand dealer had been called out they would have walked through the estate and pretty much said take it all to hard rubbish it was really lucky just because I'm aware of um, how important some of the missing material is and what's missing from the archives and from what era that I was there to actually just put the brakes on from stopping them from destroying any more now these collectors actually went to um, the person's funeral. And I had been asked to talk at his uh, funeral, and I didn't because I didn't know the guy and didn't think it was appropriate. But I did write some, some comments that the family read just from a collector's point of view and how important this was uh, from, I guess, a historically saving stuff, not just the audiovisual stuff, but a lot of stuff from Melbourne that you just don't see anymore. And after the funeral, I did approach these guys and try to start a conversation, and they absolutely refused to talk to me. I do wonder what is out there that people don't know about and is in private collections. Through my life as a secondhand dealer, I have seen some amazing collections that no one knows about. Usually it is um, vinyl collections. For some people like to have the only copy of something and don't like it getting out and don't don't like getting it shared around because I guess it diminishes its uniqueness. I've never come across anyone who was hoarding video material before, but this guy obviously hoarded it and would have absolutely known that stuff was missing because he had a full run of Doctor Who magazine. And there are many issues of Doctor Who magazine that talk about what is missing. And so he would have been aware that there could have been potentially missing material there that he never brought forward. And I think there would have been people who knew him, especially if at the eulogy they're talking about, you know, how he recorded every episode of Countdown. If there's collectors there who do collect that stuff, they would absolutely know that not every episode of Countdown exists. So it does give pause to thought that there are some people out there that are hoarding missing material in Melbourne. The gentleman that you encountered at the uh, funeral 
Would you say that in terms of age, they were contemporaries with the gentleman who'd passed away? Yes, they were probably about, you know, 20 years older than me. And I'm, I'm in my late 40s, so they were in their mid-late 60s. And the indication to you from your observation and or interaction or the way that they'd approached the estate would be that they were collectors of similar material that the gentleman who passed away uh, himself recorded? That would be speculation. I would just say they were collectors of all media. This guy who the state it was, he was obviously a science fiction fan because beyond what he recorded, he had books and magazines and comics and they were all you know, science fiction. So obviously that was an area that he specialised in collecting. And I mean, he he hoarded everything, but if he was going to alternate worlds, what he bought for that day was, you know, the Dark Horse aliens, comics and stuff like that. He wasn't into superheroes or things. So it definitely was a collection. If anything, science fiction was going to turn up, it was going to be in in this one. Mm -hmm. Now, the other guys, I don't know what they collected, but they obviously wanted to get this collection and and absorb it. And I don't know if they would have been just going through it to see what was on it or they had an idea of what was on it. But, you know, like a lot of collectors, um, I've spoken to a few different people and I've told them how, you know, I've got through this collection, there was boxes and boxes and boxes of of tapes with nothing on and they're just from the 80s or the 90s and I have no idea apart from the brand of the video and the design of the video sleeves about what era they're from because they just weren't labeled and I've had people who who find that out and go just take a box and send it to me I just love to go through it potluck and see what it's there so if there are people who don't really have a vested interest in collecting that are just interested in the lottery of seeing what's on these tapes if you've got someone who is invested and is a collector and does like to have the rare stuff they absolutely would have taken everything and gone through it but it might have taken you know the rest of their lives but I don't think we would ever have found out what was on it if it had been absorbed into those collections Now, Aaron, just to give your voice a rest, uh, I'm going to ask Mark, who also attended this house, for his impressions uh, of what he saw when he visited. Uh, Mark, just tell us, uh, because I know I had a conversation with you uh, a couple of weeks ago about it, and, um, yeah, you went there. What did you you see? What did you experience? Well, I'd spoken to Aaron the day or two beforehand and, uh, you know, sort of giving me the lowdown what was going on and sort of asking for some advice in terms of what to do with the tapes. And to be honest, the, the scale and the magnitude of how many tapes and other things in that house that were there, it just blew me away. I've seen TV shows before, hoarders' houses where they've been consumed by their own material and they're, they're surfing over piles of newspapers and things like that. So... Um, I was completely unprepared for, you know, what what I saw. I mean, I walked in the house and there was that smell of sort of it was damp, wasn't it, Aaron? It was really sort of damp and and quite uh, closed in and 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 dingy. But he, he was just Aaron was walking us through in his sections of the house, and every time he'd open a cupboard up, there's boxes and boxes of beta tapes there. And as and as Aaron said, you open up a box up and the the tape would still be in plastic wrap, very carefully, you know, opened and put back in, and you'd see notes of the of the content that was recorded and he had some he had a very individual style of um of, of archiving and we we're trying to work out what you know what he'd actually were taping and what day it was and things like that and I, I remember just walking through the house and i said aaron hey look up there and it was like an eagle moss cyberman 
collectible just sort of sitting randomly on a bookshelf. And he goes, oh, I'm, you know, Aaron said, I missed that. But everywhere you sort of turned, there's stuff everywhere. And even outside, Aaron had like these tables and he had uh, his colleague there. And I was just sorting out eight millimeter film. There were cassettes. I was looking through the cassettes. I had like Pink Floyd concerts. And I couldn't work out the brand of the tapes, but there was just hundreds of them. I had like Fleetwood Mac concerts. So this guy had taped literally, as Aaron said, everything. And some of these uh, these tapes, these audio tapes, were FM simulcasts, early FM simulcasts. So they're probably done in the early 80s. I was just walking through this house, and in the middle of a room, there's a box of vinyl in there. And you know, I'm a bit of a vinyl nut, so I went through this box of vinyl. And as Aaron said, it was completely looked brand new. Fingers are doing the walking through these crates of records, and you know, there's some, a lot of stuff there from the 80s there. And like I was looking at brand new records had been still in bags you know of, of bands like the the and i was just walking looking through and there was a seal uh off his off his first album uh, uh, a 12 inch that i never seen before and it was brand new my mouth was a slack jaw i was just, just going through these these tubs of vinyl and they were pristine and everything like that and i was lucky to actually the 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 chap that aaron was dealing with actually gave me that seal record and i, I took it home and played it and I can guarantee you it never been played before in my life. It was basically pristine. And I think Aaron had found some Doctor Who vinyl there of uh, Doctor Who Music Volume 1, 2, and the Season 23 theme with the hologram on it and Season 25. And when Aaron showed me the pictures of them, they were still in those PVC wrap, had the brushes price tag on, never been played. The house is like a rabbit warren. He's going through different nooks and crannies of this house, and everywhere you're going, he opened a cupboard door. There's stuff everywhere, and even the garage and everywhere underneath is like a. It's almost like a little uh, underground section of the house. And then I was confronted with all these like um, record players, video tape recorders, like super beta recorders. I saw there, you know, the old VHS machines as well, early beta machines as well. You know, I said to Aaron, if you just keep looking back to the far side of this sort of underground. Uh, uh, section of the house you know he said the archivist is going through or they're just pulling more and more stuff out so it was amazing never seen anything like it and probably never seen anything like it and then aaron showed us that star trek episode and i couldn't even work out the format i thought it was maybe you know the shibboleth and what it was called but no i couldn't work it out but um i know aaron sort of spruced it up and said i've never seen anything like it but until i got there and had a look at it yeah i'd never seen anything like it either can you imagine mark what it would have been like if they hadn't thrown everything out would be wonderful i don't know how people would got through that house by the time i got there you cleaned out some of it where at least you could walk through comfortably without falling over stuff i think we're always going to be that oh what was what was thrown out what did we lose i guess you can't think about that that's the only thing because it would do your head no give you an idea mark that was after you saw it after about a week i'd been out there and we had already hired a truck and taken truckloads of not the audio visual stuff but just the stuff that I would say is collectible, so old magazines and records and comics and and things like that. And we found stuff there, as you were saying, there was the music stuff. We found stuff there. There is multiple exhibitions that could happen in Acme here or one of the, you know, pop culture museums, maybe the one under the spire in the city where they have um, the the concerts and and a little display of Melbourne history. Because when he collected stuff, he collected everything. And I am not joking when I say all of this stuff was going to be thrown out, so I saved it. I probably have the biggest collection now in Australia of just indie music concert flyers because he would have gone round for 20 years. For so, These were one of the things that didn't get thrown out, so I saved them. But, you know, when there's a band at the, the, 
the corner hotel or the SB or something like that. They put out flyers. He collected all of these. And when I when I saw them, I was like, oh, there's a couple of these, but they're all in folders. And when you take the folder out and there's like 30 flyers in each folder and you have hundreds of folders, it is just like this amazing indie history of Melbourne. So beyond Doctor Who, there is all this stuff that if you were a fan of a band, you'd have gone, okay, I'll, I'll keep all the meanies um, flyers, but you wouldn't have kept everything like this guy kept. And it has like every week of what was going on at every band and every um, club and hotel in Melbourne, indeed stuff that's long gone. And there was stuff where I found stuff that was very, very unique. Um, and I did get to give it to different people who collect that stuff and make them very, very happy. Um, I don't know if you would remember when you collected, when no, just when you bought a record, Sometimes you got the old paper bags and the paper bags would have adverts for other records on. So coming soon, you know, Tim Finn, if there's a fraction too much friction and it'd be advertised on a on a bag that you buy something else on. And he had kept all those bags. Now, for people who don't know um, my history, I've I've or I've run Aaron's collectibles for a couple of years and I've uh, worked in collectible shops for for decades but before that I managed a record shop um, for nearly 10 years and in those 10 years I never saw any of these bags come through because nobody nobody kept like the bags um, with you know Kylie Minogue's first single because no one knew Kylie Minogue was going to be massive kind of thing and so he has hundreds of those and I was contacting people who were like in the friends of the ends and saying do you know I think I've got something you probably don't have and they would be, oh, we we really have everything. We don't think there will be. I go, have you got this? And sent them a picture. And they'd be like, oh, oh no, we never knew anything like that existed. Um, how much do you want for that? And I was able to say, I'm quite happy for it to go to your archive and get to the the right place where it can be um, saved and displayed. And and I, and there's been quite a few experiences like that over the last couple of weeks where I've made people very very happy because there's not a lot of monetary value in this stuff but there is an incredible historical value and especially local Melbourne value um, I have never seen anything turn up which is so location specific with what was going on in the area and that has been you know categorized and saved you know so I guess obsessively for so long so mm. lots of lots of things like that have turned up as well actually those record bags would be uh, great to be having some sort of book uh, I bought a book a while ago from the UK, which is basically like a, a it was a book of record bags, as it were, from the 60s all the way to like the 80s. And, and you just see how these advertise it to have a like a Melbourne slash Australian equivalent of that book would be uh, really interesting, wouldn't it? The ones like everybody knows brashes and stuff like that. But there's been some amazing uh, record bags from Gaslight and different versions of the bags over the years. But the guy also hoarded junk mail. And, you know, that is one of those things where you're like, why would anyone keep that until I'm going through it and find, you know, toy catalog catalogs from the 70s and 80s and you post a, a picture on the a, appropriate fan page on Facebook and everyone has a meltdown because they've never seen it before. And I was able to find some um, Star Trek Next Generation now at Toys R Us junk mail and put it up and no one had seen it and no one had saved it at the time. So that was pretty amazing. But there's been lots and lots of things like that. The, the, the big thing about this collection that works against it is what the archive said. It is actually so big 
you just can't go through it. There just is no time. We've got a lot of the stuff back at the shop, the magazines and comics and things like that, and we're trying to sort through them. And the shop is absolutely bombed out. We do not have the room (laughs) to have it in the shop, but we kind of have to, to sort it and price it and get it into stock. And we've got tubs. And when I'm talking about tubs, you know, they're the the, the big tubs you, you keep to archive stuff in your garage. Hundreds of those full of toys, magazines, records, everything you can imagine that we just are still going through. And like I said, who knows, you could open something and you find a tape and it has written on it, Space Pirates. It'd be episode two, Murphy's Law, of course. But um, who knows, there is still that potential there out of all my years of dealing with these kind of uh, big deceased estates. I have never come across anything where I've thought, oh, there could be missing Doctor Who episodes here. I've spoken to you guys before when you've asked, have I ever come across anything? No, maybe an empty film can or someone who says they know someone who knows someone and it's just like an old VHS of the Hartnell years or something. This is the only one where I'm going, there is stuff here. There is definitely the potential to have Troughton's last season or um, even earlier stuff. Indeed, at his eulogy, he was recording stuff on Australian radio before he was recording stuff on video and probably some of the stuff he was recording because one of his friends was saying he would record these old shows for his dad. I've been looking up that show and that does not appear to exist as well. So the radio stuff is important too. Let's move into the realm of conjecture and let's get down to brass tacks. If the first format that he was using uh, to record television was pneumatic, would you agree with that's likely? No, I think there was stuff before pneumatic. There was reel-to-reel that would have been even earlier. So if pneumatic was introduced in September 1971 to the domestic markets, um, it's possible, looking at broadcast, that he may have taped, uh, in terms of Melbourne, you know, the Space Pirates or the Invasion, but are you yeah. saying, and that, they were screened here in Australia very late in 71 or early in 72, are you saying that there's a possibility if he was using reel-to-reel that he was, you know, recording prior to 1971, you know, even as late as early as the late 60s? Absolutely. And some of the video formats, so not audio formats, because some of these, um, well, most of these tapes still have the boxes. And They are so rare. I've shown people and they go, we've never heard of this brand before, but it is a videotape. And Mick, who you've um, just had the discussion with, he was researching some of those and some of those tapes were available from the early 60s. So the potential goes even beyond the 70s that he was taping earlier. And indeed, um, as I've been going through this estate and trying to find where he started hoarding stuff, The earliest newspapers that seemed to be part of I was keeping this and hoarding it away were from 1954. Bloody hell. That's amazing. So, I mean, if we're in the realm of conjecture, putting aside the fact that the 27 tonnes is gone and it could have contained, likely contained audio visual material. Yeah. And and I know people who are listening to this are probably going to be rolling their eyes, but it is possible that he, he, given his love of science fiction, given his interest in Doctor Who, taped ABC broadcasts of Doctor Who here in Melbourne from sometime in the 60s, possibly, I underscore. Well, I don't know about the 60s. The 70s tapes, like I said, the tapes that he had existed in the 60s. He had the machines that play those tapes because he seemed to 
Mark, Mark witnessed this underneath his house. He bought a format, and then as soon as that format became outdated, he bought the next format that was available, and he put the old one under the house. So you look back under his house, and it was like a time machine where closest to the door is the VHS and the super beaters, and then it goes back to those clunky 70s VHS that you had in school when they played and wheeled them out on the trolleys, and then it yeah. went back to pneumatic machines. And then, like Mark said, we couldn't work out the machines, but they had the big, you know, like organ switches, right? rather than buttons on them when you, you're going to push record and play and all of that. So he definitely had that material. Also, the radio um, that he was recording, that was definitely in the 50s and 60s. So he was definitely recording stuff in that era and keeping it for radio. I just don't know um, what is the earliest videotape we're going to find. So let's hope the wind is blowing in the right direction, eh, boys? Yep. I checked under all the carpets I could. <laughs> no eclairs to be found look it was extraordinary though aaron i mean when i came home and told a few people yeah you just can't give it justice you know it was just oh, amazing i have told a couple of people i said you do not understand until you go out there and see how much material you know there was stashed in every single corner and i mean i've been going out there and i've gone through the whole house and pulled out everything that i thought was interesting and then i've gone out there and gone and done another sweep and found just as much material again because it's so overwhelming and you will find a whole bunch of rubbish and then underneath it you'll find something amazing it is just it is a once in a lifetime collection and it does rival anything i've been researching online to different hoarders that have um, recorded audio visual material and it does rival any of those collections that have turned up worldwide so to find something like that in australia is quite amazing especially as you said there's not only the house there's like little sheds wasn't there and you sent me like this little video footage of you opening a shed and of just boxes of uh, betamax videos just stored right to the top of the, the shed well that's the incredible thing when you when you go and look through an estate you've got to realize that um, people are grieving and people are mourning and it's a very you've got to be very professional about what you're doing and you don't say oh can I go in here can I go there um, you just stick to what they let you look through because you know it's a very hard time in people's lives so the first couple of times I went out I went through the garage and the house and then when I had a bit better rapport they're like oh go down to the greenhouse oh go down to the shed I will open the shed for you we're pretty sure that's got video in so even days after I've got like the biggest video collection I think I've ever seen they open a shed and as you said what there's got to be 5,000 more videos in there do you reckon I can't can't estimate they they were oh, boxes, there was, and yeah. boxes and boxes of just solid beta tapes now I have an idea because I recorded stuff on beta and I, at my craziest, had about 2,000 tapes before the bottom dropped out and no one want videos anymore kind of thing. And this was magnitudes beyond what I ever had. It was just crazy. Mark and I both joked we were looking at the, the super beta players and the, the different videos and we were just like, when we were taping stuff in the 80s, these were the machines that were, you know, right down the end with the expensive stuff that you'd go and drool about, but there was no way you could ever afford and this guy had multiples of them sitting under his house so did the archives take all the machines away because i know there's a hell of a lot there but also there was like um you know professional uh tape decks like Morant's tape decks and a whole heap of um you know vinyl record players were they all taken as well uh by the archives as well and wasn't there like a radio that somebody had built in the late 30s i think they're like a homemade radios um yeah that was a valve radio and the archive 
were interested in all of that. So I basically said, we will get everything audio visual out and you can take it. Interestingly, they wouldn't go into the house. They said, we will take it if you have it all prepared and ready to go. So it took about a week of my back hating me getting all of this stuff out and sorted and ready to go to the archive. But I prepared every single electronic machine that was, you know, to do with audio visual and let them have the lot. So it was all or nothing. So I gave them everything and they indeed got some really lovely turntables and really lovely audio equipment. I mean, I've shown pictures to someone and uh, a few people and they've gone, that's a Umatic editing desk. Like, that's amazing that someone had that in their house. Um, but it was like that. It looked, for Doctor Who fans, it looked like the technology that was on Nerva Beacon or something like that, where there's all these old 70s banks of machines <laughs> that um, obviously I would not have any idea of what they were for. All I know is they were all audiovisual equipment and a lot of them had the big slots to put in the umatic tapes and things like that. So something definitely very unique. So, Aaron, I know you touched on it earlier but and and you've certainly mentioned this in discussions with us, uh, you know, before recording. The, you mentioned um, USB drives and, uh, and and hard drives. Is there the possibility? And you also mentioned the Umatic editing desk. Is there a possibility that this gentleman at some point could have transferred, you know, uh, from videotape from Beta Umatic VHS onto hard drives? I mean, given his predilection for recording entire runs of Doctor Who in the 90s and the 80s and possibly the 70s, was there a chance that he may have transferred these uh, uh, this video material onto, uh, onto hard drives and USB drives? Absolutely. And that's what I'm really happy, hoping that he did do, because this seems to be the material that the family didn't junk or throw out. And there is boxes and tubs and rooms and drawers full of old hard drives and burnt DVDs and USB drives. And I, I opened a box of hard drives and I'm like, I don't even, I know they're hard drives. I don't know what they're for and how you'd play them or if there's any material left you can get off them anymore. But he he was someone who was into electronics. Um, he had two computer rooms, not just one. He had two computer rooms and both of them look like, um, you know, if you see an old ham radio person who's built their own, um, ham radio and then maybe it's got a bit out of control so there's there's um, rack shelves everywhere with different different pieces of equipment and there's wires running from one to the other and there's aerials going up into the roof and then there's bundles of cables running out the door and into the walls and all of that that is how two of his rooms were so he was definitely on top of that kind of thing and he also collected electronic and computing magazines. And these go right back to the 70s. So they was like radio magazines and they went to computer magazines. And I did find boxes of stuff on um, how to burn CDs and burnt CDs. And so he was on top of that technology as it was being de developed. So fingers crossed that he did migrate older formats to newer formats it's pure speculation if he did, but someone who hoards like that, it wouldn't surprise me. When I was going through those magazines, Aaron, I was hoping he'd have a complete run of Zap 64, but alas, they weren't there, were they? He didn't have any of the gaming magazine stuff. He was definitely into their technology, but it was more PC user and things like that. It wasn't any of the gaming issues. And and I, I do think that's why there is the potential that he was, you know, he had all the build your own 
PC magazines and things like that. So I do think he was on top of that. And at his um, funeral, the eulogies particularly talked about how he was a whiz with computers and how he um, had multiple different computers and setups and things like that. So he was on top of that. He wasn't one of those people who you know, the world passed him by because he was hoarding. He definitely was using the technology to be able to hoard more, if that makes sense. Did he also have shipping containers? One of those frustrating things, and it happens a lot in secondhand um, industry, is when someone thinks something has no value, they're quite happy to give it to you. Um, and this collection was going to be junked. So they were quite happy that someone was coming in and taking it rather than having to pay for someone to take it away. And that has changed a little bit, probably more to do with they realise it's got historical value, not really monetary value, but because the archives have become involved, they're a little bit proud of him now because he saved stuff, even though they were the ones who probably destroyed most of the, the interesting things. And at the beginning of um, this whole process, they said, oh, are you interested in seeing what's in his storage units? And I said, I absolutely am. And I was originally going to go out and look at them. And now they've taken a step back and said, well, we, we think we want to go through everything before we have anyone else going out there. So that's a um, to be continued at the moment. Before we wrap things up, Given that you, your shop is absolutely heaving with material that you'd love to offload to fans, please tell us how, they, how you can be contacted, websites, email, Twitter, whatever. So basically, if you Google Aaron Challenger with one A, you will find me. But I own a shop, Aaron's Collectibles, which is in Blackburn, Victoria. We have um, a Facebook page and Instagram and, you know, all the different socials and things like that. So we are primarily a pop culture store. We have a bit of everything. Because I'm a massive Doctor Who fan, we are skewed a little bit that way. But we, we do have whatever is collectible and interesting in pop culture. Um, I also do a, a couple of collectible shows. Once a week, I do one on collectibles called Rip It Off the Card, which just looks at a different topic on collecting each week. And we do another show called The Who Report, which is, of course, mainly focused on Doctor Who. If you're on Facebook, the Sci-Fi Zone is the channel that hosts all of those. And indeed, on YouTube and Twitch, the Sci-Fi Zone channel hosts the the things we do on there as well. Obviously, if you're in Melbourne, get on down to Aaron's Collectibles. And if you're online, well, I'm sure Aaron will be very happy to sell to you and ship all around the world this fantastic uh, collection that he's he, he's come across. And just remember the continuing deal with um, 42 to Doomsday. Listeners, if you come in and say, keep on punching, you get a free issue of Doctor Who magazine of your choice. But not the ones he's just found. <laughs> <laughs> We don't even have room for them in the shop. Um, the thing I did want to bring up before I go um, is this collection has really opened my eyes on how not we view um, hoarding and collecting and things like that, where they see very little inherent value in anything. And they would probably, like I said, they see the value in the estate and the the property, but old videotapes go straight to the to the tip. So if you are someone or know someone that has a collection like this, you don't have to make it publicly known, but please, please leave some provision so it doesn't get destroyed after, um, well, well, in this case, it wasn't even when the, the person passed away. It was just one of those things that happened. But if you think you have anything missing or something interesting or you know an estate, please check with someone before you start um, throwing everything out. 
Thank you very much, Aaron, for sharing that fascinating insight to uh, the, what do you call it, the hoarding house of Camberwell. I was taking pictures of and you were taking pictures of. I'll post a couple of pictures up as well now on our socials just to give some. It won't give you, obviously, the full context of what you're dealing with, but it might just give a small slither in terms of uh, of, of the mother load, as it were. And let's hope that those archivists and those uni- university students um, start looking through them and, and finding some gems, uh, whether they be uh, Doctor Who or other uh, missing material, particularly Countdown as well. It'd be nice if they've got a couple of episodes of those, or at least some clips from there. I do recommend that people check out Aaron's uh, YouTube channel, uh, especially the show Rip It Off The Card, because you do uh, look at some of this material, don't you, uh, Aaron? Yeah, if you go back through the last couple of weeks, they're all up on the Facebook page. There is two uh, two shows. One's called like when Pro- when hoarding becomes a problem, and another one on a hoarder's hoarder's collection. And we highlight some of the stuff that um, happened in this. The the show goes for about two hours. It is the second half where we look at the main um, subject. Also, I'm on Twitter under Aaron Challenger, and I have been posting up the different pictures of different formats that I've been finding over the last couple of weeks that it that are pretty interesting to see as well. And let's get you back on next year, Aaron, to talk about uh, maybe some predictions in terms of merchandising with the uh, R2-D2 era of the program, plus Disney as well. Uh, the juggernaut is about to relaunch, you think? Well, I'll tell you what, the, the last time I had a discussion with you guys, it was pretty grim where I was reporting about um, the sales of Doctor Who being down and the general feeling in fandom is it was a bit tired and no one was collecting the show anymore. It can show you just how something can be turned around with a bit of positivity and uh, a new Doctor Who's a favourite and a bit of um, information to get people interesting because Doctor Who has, in the last couple of weeks, um, almost gone through a regeneration on the merchandise side of things where people are genuinely excited about what happens next. Uh, that might be something interesting to talk about in the future. Stay tuned, as the great man used to say. And on that cheery, anticipatory note, I've been Rob. And I've been Mark. And I've been Aaron. We'll speak again soon. You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon.